What if life, vigorous, sparkling, and spontaneous, were passing you by? What if you were, what if you're missing it? Or worse yet, what if it's being stolen from you? What if there was a thief in your midst secretly following, following you around and stealing from you? A thief that was cunning. A thief that didn't steal the things that are extremely important and obvious to you, but instead a thief that steals the things that possibly you have neglected. Oh, sure, they were once important, but, but the pace of life has shifted your focus. You haven't even noticed what has been taken from you. And even when confronted with the facts, maybe you doubt whether or not you even owned it. What if life, vigorous, sparkling, and spontaneous, were passing you by? What if you're missing it? Or worse yet, what if it's being stolen from you? This idea of a vigorous life, I, um, I always, you know, growing up I had an uncle that, that was uh, pretty obsessed with John Wayne, and so he kind of passed that on to me, and I'd go hang out with him. And I, when I think of the word vigorous, I've always been struck by the American cowboy. I always thought the American cowboy, now that, that's a vigorous individual. And so I, uh, well, I, I wanted to experience what that vigor must be like. So uh, a few years ago, I started planning a cattle drive. I thought this would be a really good idea. Go out to Montana or Wyoming and drive cattle for a week. So after about three years of planning, the day finally arrived. And, and uh, I was a youth pastor at the time, and, and I used to run some conferences for youth pastors. One of the conferences I ran for a couple of years was a little ski conference, and I'd invite youth pastors to come around the country. And you know, always youth pastors, always had some, they would come. They'd come join us for this little ski conference up in Colorado. Always had people come. I sent out an email this year. I said, I'm not doing a ski conference. Instead, I'm doing a cattle drive. So just email me back and we'll all go. Nobody emailed me back. And I thought, well, everybody must be missing out because this is truly going to be an amazing experience. So I had one guy, I think maybe because he had compassion on me, he, he, that said, oh, you know what, I'll go with you. And uh, it actually happens to be here today. Uh, Gary Carter and his wife Trina, they're joining us from St. Louis today. And so Gary, Gary and I were serving together at the same church. He said, well, I'll go join you for this cattle drive. I said, well, it's going to be great. It's going to be fabulous. Now, uh, Gary's uh, he's a planner type, so he wanted to know what to bring and all that stuff. And I, it's a cattle drive. So, you know, it's not like we would just bring cowboy stuff. and Bring your boots and buy a hat and let's go. So i got to tell you, now I've done a lot of traveling and stuff, but I've never traveled in boots and a cowboy hat until this day. And so Gary and I put our boots and cowboy hats on and traveled in the airplane to Montana. And uh, I, the people around us were a little intrigued. Now, by the way, before I know some of you, what you think? this is before Brokeback Mountain, so I don't want to hear any comments, all right? <laughs> all right, so Gary and I are traveling in our, in our cowboy gear, all right? And, 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 and I got to tell you, I'm walking into the airplane, this guy goes, get her done, cowboy. And that was a little awkward. So we got to the we we got to Montana Billings Montana we we got in this truck that had you know like the king cab deals where you got the two seats and then another two seats this had like another two seats so it's rather large, 
And uh, we all just piled in this truck, drove about four hours to our campsite, which is, was the base of a mountain. And I said, Gary, isn't this great? And there's our tent outside in the base of the mountain. It's like a Civil War tent. Uh, and so we, we climbed into our tent that night, and I was, you know, really enjoying the whole camping kind of feel. And this is really cool. They did put one of those metal things. What do you call those fireplace things? Stove. stove. Thank you. It was a stove. <laughs> As you can see, I was going for the vigorous. Uh, and so they had a little stove in there. It was nice. So, you know, Gary and I were throwing wood in there. Let's keep us warm, you know, because it was a little chilly. It was, you know, probably like 30 degrees or something. But, uh, you know, that's cool. So we put this stuff in. Well, about 2 in the morning, the, uh, the stove was no longer giving off flame. And I hear Gary moaning from the other side. And I had several layers on, and I had kind of wrapped everything up. There was one little piece of my sleeping bag. I couldn't quite get cold. And it was like someone was shoving knives down well, he, we wake up that morning, he goes, do you realize it's 18 degrees in our tent? Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to get dressed in 18 degree weather. Needless to say, we got dressed very fast. So we went out that day, well, the, for, the, for the week, we rode an average of, uh, we were in the saddle an average of 10 or 11 hours a day. The second day, after Gary and I walked back into the tent... <laughs> Sat down, Gary. Uh, Gary. Gary said, "Thanks for inviting me on this, James." <laughs> said, "No problem." Said, "All right, I'm gonna just do a little journaling now." So, you know, we kind of got ready for dinner. And he goes, "I want you to know, I wrote about you in my journal." I was like, "Really? Thanks, man." He goes, "Yeah, I was listing how many different ways I could kill you." We had a wonderful time, you know, I, and, and uh, I'll give you one other little story. There, at one point, we were, we were riding the horse, we were, we were driving the cows, and this, uh, this, this leg was sticking out the rear end of a cow. And I thought that was kind of awkward, and somebody goes, there's, there's a, that cow is having a baby! And um, so, sure enough, they pulled the cow out, and the cow was calving, and so they, that cow had to have its calf, so we went and drove the, the horses, but they need a couple people to go back and help with the newborn calf and the cow. Of course, I wanted to volunteer for everything, because I was going for the bigger cowboy thing. So I volunteered, and I went with cowboy lady and cowboy daughter. By the way, cowboy, hip, he's like straight from the movies, leather hands, and like scares the snot out of you. I mean, he's, you know, at one point we were branding, and he walked over with the brand, I promise you. We're branding, okay, and like, you know, like burning flesh, smelling in your face. It's not a pleasant deal. So I'm holding down the calf, and he comes over with the brand, and he slips and takes the brand and shoves it on my arm like this, to which, of course, I screamed and was like, ah! And he's like, that's a cold one. I just wanted to do that to see if you're awake. <laughs> Thank you, hip. So we went, I went to help a cow lady, Loretta, and Desi, the cow daughter, to help with the cow and the calf. And so they were walking around like the corral thing, like, you know, like, well, you know, like, really. And I'm like, these are like cow people. They're supposed to be like, what's up? So I was a cow person now after two days. So I was like, hey, I've seen hippie, like, kicks the cows and stuff. And I'm like, I'll help you. So I walked over, and she's like, uh, you know, you might want to be a little careful there, because the mother cow gets a little set about just that she just had the baby thing. And it's got, and the cow's eating the placenta, and that's really gross, and the baby's kind of still wet and stuff. And So anyway, Mama Cowboy grabs the calf like this, and she's running with the calf like this. She's barely holding on, so I'll, I'll come rescue you. So I grab the other, the loins, and the two of us are running with the calf to the trailer. 
So we launch the thing in the trailer, and the cow is hauling after us. And so we launch the thing in the trailer, and step back, and the cow jumps in the trailer. I was like, what's up? Right there, huh? Who's your daddy? Huh? I'm the cow guy. We got them both in there. And she goes, that's good, but there's a problem. It, we got to get the cow and the calf separated, or the cow will trample the, the calf. And uh, so we got to move them. So he's not supposed to get in there, like, right away. And I was like, oh, okay. So she's got this, like, prod, and she's trying to get the cow to move. I go, hey, I'll take care of this. I promise you I did this. I don't know what I was thinking. But I was a cowboy for two days. And I'd watched Hip, the cow guy. So I go, I got to step back. Cow's butt was right there looking at me. I was going to move this cow. Bam! I just hauled off and just racked the cow right in the back. It's a little, like, rocky. Only it was alive. And so I just punched it. I promise you the cow goes like this. <laughs> Bam! Like that. Catches me right in the knee. Oh! Smashes me in the eye. I'm like, oh, you guys go ahead. I'm going to just, I'll wait over here. I'll just, you guys go ahead and move the trailer. <sighs> so the rest of the, de- the knee was like, <clears throat> I'm going to ride. I wanted vigorous. I was going for the vigorous feel, you know, and, and uh, Gary was kind enough to try it out with me. But, but I, I come back to this question. What if the villain of your life, and you have one, what if the villain has recognized you? The Bible says in 1 Peter 5.8 that your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion, prowling, looking for those that he can devour. What if he's recognized you as the enemy? What if he's morphed from the roaring MGM lion at the beginning of the movie to the producer in the credits? What if the villain is the one who is, in fact, directing your life? What if you've lost all sense of direction? What if the villain is disarming you while you're preoccupied with the lives of others who are living the life you wish you lived? See, it's really easy to begin to compare ourselves to people, especially in this culture and in this community. Well, so-and-so's got that house, and they've got that car. I wish I had that car, and I wish I had that many children, or I wish I didn't have that many children. I wish I... I wish I... But if I... But I wish... In his classic book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, Neil Postman writes, When a population becomes distracted by trivia, when cultural life is redefined as a perpetual round of entertainments, when serious public conversation becomes a form of baby talk, when, in short, a people become an audience and their public business a vaudeville act, then a nation finds itself at risk. Culture death is a clear possibility. Jesus' words were recorded in John 10.10. It's a verse I quote often here. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The King James Version of the Bible calls it the abundant life. When you break it all down, it comes down to this thing. The thief seeking to destroy God offering a full life. What if the full life, the abundant life, what if life vigorous and sparkling and spontaneous were passing you by? I mean, what if, what if 
you were missing it. Or worse yet, it was being stolen from you. I tried to think about this word sparkling. Because as I was preparing, these were the three words that kept coming up that it just seems like people in this country and people in this culture seem to settle. And I thought about this word sparkling. What is a sparkling life? When I lived in Miami, I had a friend who would take me deep sea fishing. And so we'd go off the coast of Miami about halfway between Miami and the Bahamas, and, and we would deep sea fish in, in an area called the Gulf Stream, the deep blue and i got to tell you, you just look down at the water and it's sparkled. I've never seen anything like it. It's beautiful. To, have a, to, to live a sparkling life. I thought about this word spontaneous. Jeremy and I, Jeremy, many of you guys met Jeremy at the door. He was greeting when you walked in. Jeremy and I went to the same university and uh, we, we served in a ministry that did missions. And our girlfriends, who we, by the way, both happen to marry... Uh, our girlfriends were sang, sang on a team. And uh, there was one night in particular that the two teams were together and, and they were singing like in the backwoods of North Carolina. And you're in college, so we thought, well, let's go see him. So we jumped in his Honda and, uh, and drove two hours in the middle of the woods of nowhere and thought, this would just be great. And we, so we drove out there and, and, of course, we got lost. We had no idea where we were. We made it for like the last song, said hi, and turned around and drove back. It was just a spontaneous moment. And then on the car ride, I, I happened to bring with me some cassettes of some fabulous 80s music. And so while we were driving, we, we were driving to the tunes of Tears for Fears and Huey Lewis, and Mike and the Mechanics, Glass Tiger, for those of you really hardcore, <laughs> Phil Collins, Chicago 17. It's a little weird when you see two guys driving down the road. You're the meaning in my life. You're the inspiration. A little awkward. We didn't mind. And the two of us just drive. And I got to tell you, the two of us have talked about it a decade later and said, you know what? That was one of our most enjoyable memories. It wasn't planned. It was kind of stupid. And here we are driving in the middle of, you know, North Carolina woods listening to 80s music. It was weird. But it was a memory that we made and we enjoyed it. Often we try to, who are my planners? Some of you, this is harder for some of you than others because some of you are the planners. You're the planner people. I know you. You know, you have, it's, I mean, you got plans for when you're going to go to the bathroom during the day. I mean, things are scheduled in your house. I got to tell you. I mean, if you're doing a trip, you're, I mean, you, you checked out the weather report. You've got, you're checking out the airline deal. You're like contrasting the 747 and the Airbus. Which one do I want to take? You know, what are, what's the fuel ratio right now with the airlines? I mean, you got your planners. And so the spontaneous thing is really hard for you. Then my free spirits in here, y'all are like, spontaneous? Yeah, what's up? Every day. I don't know what's happening in the next five minutes. So for some of you, I understand. It comes easier than others. But I mean, I just think that sometimes life gets so fast, and we live at such a pace. And again, I'm coming back. This is Part of this is my reflection on America and my reflection. The great things about America, and yet the stapled part of our culture. As you know, Eva was from Brazil, Brazil and I've taken, uh, this will be my 10th trip to Brazil this year. And the one thing I'm, I've, I'm always really probably convicted about when I go to visit Brazil is how much they take time for people. They just pause, they sit down on the front porch, and they just talk. And sometimes life doesn't slow down long enough, to, uh, long enough for us to have a real conversation, let alone to think. 
to reflect. Do you ever have moments of wonder? I know a bunch of you in here have, have new babies. And that baby's sleeping at night. And you look at that just beautiful baby's face, glowing, sleeping. I mean, it's not a, is, it, is it not a moment of wonder? But what about beyond? Do you ever hear the faint whisper and wonder if it's real? Do you ever have a longing that sometimes seems overwhelming and you're not sure what it is? What is this, what is this thing? I mean, am I alone or do you ever feel this thing? I mean, do you ever, is there something else that sometimes you go, am I missing something in life here? Maybe you've tried to fill it with, you've organized competition because maybe you thought the adrenaline would rush to do it. Maybe you've rushed off to a sexual experience thinking maybe that would do it. Maybe you had to throw in a movie that it was a comedy or maybe it was a drama or maybe it was something that would somehow invoke emotion or feelings. Maybe maybe you clicked on religious television. Maybe it was listening to your favorite band and a certain kind of music. Maybe it, it felt like there's something calling to me, but I just have trouble satisfying this craving. And in the end, we often dismiss it as unexplainable, something we really don't have time for. I am trying to peel back some layers in your life. It's my heart and determination as a pastor, as a shepherd, to not allow us as a community to settle in life. To show up and do the Sunday morning thing. To meet with people and do the surface conversation and ignore the soul. Because I'm convinced life is way too short. I'm convinced that the thief is seeking to steal and kill and destroy. I think for many of us, maybe most of us, something is missing. Something is left undone. For some reason, we remain unsatisfied. And we may even mutter in a moment of perceived weakness, what's wrong with me? Have you had that statement? Have you had that conversation with yourself? What's wrong with me? I don't know why I'm feeling this way. I don't know why I'm frustrated. Why am I angry? What if life, vigorous, sparkling and spontaneous were passing you by what if you were missing out on life or worse yet what if it was being stolen from you and what if I could introduce you to someone who could get it back and reveal more than you'd ever dreamed of see the difficulty in speaking about him is not that he's it's not that he is uh indescriptive, but that our language, our images, and our metaphors cannot contain his description. Melito, a second century bishop and poet, made this beautiful attempt. For as a son born, as a lamb led, as a sheep slain, as a man buried, he rose from the dead as God. Being by nature God and man, for he is all things, inasmuch as he judges law, inasmuch as he teaches word, inasmuch as he saves grace, inasmuch as he begets father, inasmuch as he is begotten son, inasmuch as he suffers sheep, inasmuch as he is buried 
man. And as much as he has raised God, this is Jesus the Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What if life were passing you by? Who would you need to help you find your way? Who would you need to protect you from attack and thievery? Well, you and I both would need a warrior guide. Joshua knows who I'm talking about. In Joshua chapter 5, 14, it says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. John wrote of this warrior in Revelation chapter 19, 11, I saw heaven standing open there, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This past fall, I met a guy named Andy Meldrum. Andy is helped lead in worship with our band here. And he and I have coached a flag football team together. And at one point in the season, something came up. I don't know, one of the kids, we were talking about football, and something, somebody said something about Jesus in football conversation. And, and Andy looked at the kid, and he said, Look, Jesus was no pansy. If Jesus was out here playing football, he'd play hard, and he'd play strong. And I just sat there, and I listened to Andy talk to him, and I thought, You know what? That's so true. I thought, how many times we focus on Jesus as a friend to sinners, a lover to the church, a shepherd of, of, of sheep, and a teacher of truth. And while all those things are true and significant, Jesus is also a warrior. But we have, unfortunately, many of us, especially in the church, become preoccupied with safety. It's spilled into the way we live. And people who are different from us, they they make us feel uncomfortable. and, And that makes us feel unsafe. And so churches create their own holy huddles, social clubs, country clubs, complete with membership dues and membership privileges. It's why here at The Journey, we don't even use the term membership. We call it partnership. If you want to be a part of The Journey, then be a partner with The Journey. Because this is a church in movement. This is a church that will not remain stagnant. We are not about a castle to hide away from the big bad world and to just draw people like ourselves, but we are about diversity and the beauty of diversity. We are about loving people and serving people, literally serving them into the kingdom of God. Author and pastor Erwin McManus writes that we have lost the barbarian way of early Christianity. He says the civilized build shelters and invite God to stay with them, but the barbarians move with God wherever he chooses to go. The civilized Christian has a routine. The barbarian disciple has a mission. 
The civilized believer knows the letter of the law. The barbarian disciple lives the spirit of the law. The religiously civilized love tradition. The barbarian spirit loves challenges. The civilized are satisfied with ritual. Ritual. The barbarians live and thrive in the mystical. For the civilized people, religion provides stability and certainty. For the barbarian, a life in God is one of risk and mystery. And so in this community of believers, which, by the way, folks, that's what church is. It's not something we show up to, and it's not a building that we arrive at, but church is a community of believers, and in this community of believers, we believe that in order to live this faith, we have to understand it is a dangerous faith. And I don't pretend to have it all figured out. One of the reasons that we have not attached ourselves to a denomination is because, i got to tell you, first of all, people they come to a church and they ha- tend to have baggage based on what their experience is in the denomination. But because I can't attach myself to a denomination because I have not yet figured out which denomination has it right. <laughs> Hadn't figured out which one it is yet. Of course, my suspicion is that none of them have it right. That God is a mystery, and there are things about him that we will never fully understand. Does that mean that there is not absolute truth? Of course not. The Bible gives us absolute truth. There are directives from from Scripture that are direct, pure, and clear. But there are also areas in Scripture that are difficult to fully define and understand. And I'm convinced that the reason God did this for us made some things in Scripture unclear allowed one person to believe something, another person to believe something else, and then both literally walk in the Spirit of God, is because God is saying, I believe in diversity. I don't want a cardboard cutout Christian. I've shaped every one of you to be different. Not one person in this room looks alike. And not one person in this room has been gifted and talented and given the same purpose in life. God has created us with a different mission, every one of us. It's the beauty of his design. It's the mystery of his design. And it forces us to trust. You see, if we had everything spelled out for us, everything. And again, I'm saying there are clearly some things spelled out. There are some black and whites to follow in Scripture. But outside of those black and whites, when you get to the next layer, the reason all that stuff isn't exactly figured out for us is because, you know what? If it was, then we would just be obsessive. We would try to control everything, but instead, by the way, there are those who do. But instead, we are forced to trust the Holy Spirit to lead us. That means that I have to walk daily with God. See, if everything was black and white, everything in Scripture was black and white, and I, there, was, there was just no question, no room for interpreting anything, then why would I have to walk with God daily? I got it all figured out. Stick it right here. And you know what? I can kind of do little check marks as I watch people. By the way, some of us do this, don't we? Well, five points. Whoa, negative ten. And yet God says, you know what? If you will trust my Holy Spirit, you will walk in holiness. But it means in order to trust His Spirit, we have to be intimate with God. Well, in order to be intimate with anybody, we've got to spend time with them. And so we must be a church that values spending time with our Creator. In worship here, yes. In prayer here, yes. But individually, that you make time in your lives to get alone with God. And by the way, that takes many different shapes and forms. 
It's not reading your Bible to just read your Bible. It's going to read your Bible so that you're interacting with the messenger of the message. It's taking time in prayer. It's pausing to acknowledge His beauty. It's even paying attention to the earth that He's created and the way we treat it. See, the reality is there's a little bit of insanity with following Jesus. There's no way to escape that barbarians can appear out of their minds. No reasonable person would just fully follow God wherever He calls you to go. Because God is simply unreasonable. I mean, have you ever discovered this in your life, that God is unreasonable? He asks you to do things that you can't possibly do. And we often try to organize our lives to prepare for obedience. Have you tried that one? Well, God, you know, I'd like to give, but i got some bills here, and so I'll tell you what, I'll do the Dave Ramsey University thing, and um, once I get everything lined up, then maybe I can help, uh, you know, give to you. You know, God, I'd really love to move there, but I can't yet because there are some things I really need to take, off, take care of here. You know, there's a passage in Scripture where Jesus was interacting with somebody, and they're like, hey, I, but there's a, I, there's a funeral coming up, and I got to, Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. Follow me. Yeah, but I got to go say goodbye to my family. Whoa. This is your new family. You follow me now, first. You follow me when I call you, and the other stuff will line up. But boy, I got to tell you, trusting somebody? For some of us, trusting anybody is really hard. Because we've been burned. We've been racked. We had that lousy father. We had that mother who didn't get motherhood. Some of us had that boss that was a jerk. Some of us have trouble trusting. And that plays out in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And the problem is, if we don't trust, we won't follow. And if you don't follow, if you don't follow, go ahead and cross off that Christian term in your name. Because a disciple is a follower of Jesus. Just call it what it is. If you don't want to follow him, fine. Just take off the name tag. Please. No matter how you spin the story, the Bible's filled with tribes of irrational people. When Noah built the ark, he didn't live in a flood zone. When Elijah called down fire from heaven, he'd never tried it before. By the way, give this a shot. Call down fire. See if it works for you. David should have left the giant alone. Hosea never should have married a prostitute. What was Moses thinking when he was pointing his staff at the Red Sea? Like it would just split in half? And that's just to mention the more popular and highly admired followers of God. I mean, these people did not live normal lives. Their actions were ludicrous and irrational when you take God out of the formula. See, if you haven't done something ridiculous lately... You probably should check it out and see if you're really following the ridiculous, ludicrous, and, and highly irrational God. Because I guarantee, if you're following God, He's going to call you to do something that you cannot do. And by the way, He doesn't love that because He's an, He doesn't do that because He's an egotistical God. He does that because He loves us. Because he doesn't want us to miss it. He doesn't want the thief to come in and steal it. He wants, to, wants us to live life to the full. Are you missing life? Somewhere along the way, did life get domesticated? The great president Theodore Roosevelt said this, It's not the critic 
who counts. It's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, who at best knows in the end the triumph of great achievement, and who, at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place will never be with those cold, timid souls who know neither victory or defeat. In Mark 8:27, as Jesus is leading his disciples into a city known for its many pagan gods, he asks his followers a very simple yet important question. It's very similar to the, the question I asked you a few weeks ago. Who do you say that I am? And by the way, if you were writing in your journals, I'd ask you to just write that down. Who do you say that I am? And if there's an answer that immediately pops out to you, then go ahead and write it down. But if not, this is a question for you to reflect on this week. Who do you say that I am? Jesus is asking, really, who am I in your life? That casual guy who I connect with every now and then, appreciate you being there, little thumbs up. Or are you this warrior guide? Are you this lover? Are you this teacher of truth who I can give my life to? Because I got to tell you this, how you answer that question Well, how you answer that question determines the trajectory of your life. In the weeks to come, in the months that follow, in the years ahead, how you answer that question will affect everything. When we fear God and God only, we are no longer bound by all the other fears that would hold us captive. The fear of death, the fear of failure, the fear of rejection, the fear of insignificance, all of the fears that know us by name and haunt us in the dark of night become powerless when we know the fear of the Lord, the respect of God. This may be the most extraordinary mark of the Spirit of God within the heart of humanity, the freedom to live out dreams greater than ourselves. Erwin McManus, the barbarian way. We find in Jesus that the hostility of God turns toward empty religion, but the mercy of God turns toward the outcast and the sinner. Oh, that as a church we would never become pious and religious, but that we would always be welcoming and loving, and that we would step forward first with a foot that looks to give. Because when we give and when we serve, that's when we truly lead. Jesus was crucified not in spite of his love, but because of it. Somehow love incites both love and hate with equal force. Isn't that interesting, by the way? The nature of love. We shouldn't be surprised then that to follow Christ is to abandon the luxury of safety and security. If we're to be like him, we must always risk for love. The call of God is more than a leap of faith. It is a life of faith. And I think sometimes we get hung up on like, well, I know like, uh, I might be called to the mission field. That's our big fear, right? Oh, I have to go to India if I follow Jesus. It's so much more than that. 
The truth of the matter is probably living in your world right now where you live on fire for God in a missional way. Living for Him is way harder than you going to India. India would be a way out. God's called you to where you are today, now. Live for Him there. It's why as a pastor, I've had several conversations with people who've said, are you sure you want to do the pastor thing? Because I've known some pastors, and it's not really a fun world. People take shots, and, you know, I mean, their pastor's falling right and left. I mean, the devil's probably mad at you, too. I mean, are you sure you want to do this thing? And I've got to tell you, I'm willing to expose myself to the critique of others. I'm willing to be misunderstood because the message of the cross compels me to go. And it calls me to trust. Because I see my frailty. And I know I can be hurt. But I have to believe in a God who's bigger than me. My obsession is to know Jesus and to make him known. What if life, vigorous and sparkling and spontaneous, what if it were passing you by? I mean, what if you were missing it? Or worse yet, what if it was being stolen from you? We don't like being... Have you ever, have you ever had anything stolen? You know that feeling of being violated? I mean, what if, what if, what if you were being violated? The thief was stealing from you. And you didn't see it happening. What if you were slipping into slavery and didn't even know it? Know it? Thomas Paine, American patriot, in December 19th, 1776, wrote this. Tyranny, like hell, is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us, that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. That's worth repeating. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. Tis dearness only that gives everything its value. There is a warrior guide. His name is Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, the Bible reads, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? What's what's missing? Is there something being stolen? Are you just unsatisfied with life? And that voice that you're constantly trying to slap away is the voice of God saying, Leave your comfort, leave your convenience. 
and abandon yourself to me. I don't know if for you it will include a geographical change of location. I suspect for many of you it will be a location change for your heart. I had a discussion with a man this weekend. And at the conclusion of our discussion, we realized that there was an idol in his home. And the idol took the shape of a soccer ball. It was what ruled his family's lives. And I give him credit, he was honest enough to call it what it was. It was their overriding passion, and God was somewhere in a distant third or fourth. What is your overriding passion? What is it that, you, that gets you up out of bed in the morning? Is it the beautiful, the beautiful one? Is it the creator of the universe? Is it Jesus the Christ? who is separated from his Father for the first time in all eternity because his love for you was so great. Don't let the thief steal away with your life. In just a minute, we'll have a chance to pray. Prayer set to melody. But I want to encourage you right now in this moment, would you do business with God if there's sin in your life, just let God know. Surrender to Him. And if you're here this morning and don't have a personal relationship with God, God has been a concept or a distant abstract, would you invite Him to come into your life in a personal way to transform your life, to change your life? He will. Afterwards, if you want to talk, if you want to pray, would you come and find Evil or myself? Dan is our children's pastor. He'll be down here in a little while. Nothing more important than this.